0: Welcome back to Night Cheese, um, as I would say always, but we've only been back for a week, um, but as previously on Night Cheese, uh,
1: I was Steven. And I was Tim.
0: Yeah, and we, we still are, yeah. but, um, <laughs> we were then, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you, you have tuned in to episode 53, which we have tentatively titled, uh, we've got some catching up to do, um, which is, um. Both, both meta and and metaphorical, I suppose. <laughs> um, where if you've uh, listened to our most recent offering, um, we've caught back up on all the time we've missed. So, if you're new to the game and you don't want to listen to the um, first fifty episodes, uh, shame on you. But that's okay. <laughs> we'll forgive you, anyways. We're we're men of grace. And um, so what we do here is uh, this 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 concept of night cheese, which is um, if you think we're we're Going to extol the virtues of Gorgonzola versus uh, breathe. You found the wrong podcast, but um, <laughs> it's just a it's just a subtle joke from the TV series Thirty Rock, which I guess that joke was a little more current the first time around we were doing it when that show was on the air, but uh, but no more. So um, anyway, what Tim and I do here is um, we've uh, started off this podcast by finding uh, obscure titles or, or just uh, films or shows that we discovered through Netflix uh, mm-hmm. to talk about and share with one another, uh, do a little deep dive on those things and stuff. And it kind of evolved into just current shows uh, or whatever we found that has kind of tickled our fancy we wanted to talk about and so uh we've taken a break uh we've both gotten families and um pursued higher education and settled into life and all this other stuff and so we've come back uh after an eight-year hiatus um much like so many nostalgia properties coming back for a reboot i suppose um (laughs) hopefully ours will be good um and now uh, the landscape has changed. There's multiple streaming services. You don't mm-hmm. really get your Netflix through the mail anymore. Um, so we um, have been doing, as this episode suggests, some catching up to do. So our last episode, we took uh, five selections from the past 10 years of mm-hmm. TV series that impacted us. Go back and listen to that if you're uh, interested. And um, maybe you'll find something that you ne- always thought about checking out and uh, you can Check it out now Um, So on the flip side Of that coin uh, This week We are Taking the same idea Catching up From the past Eight years Or ten years Sorry From uh, the previous decade And choosing Five films That um, Impacted us I I I always Struggle Tim To say Like my favorite You Mm -hmm. know Or or best I'm very noncommittal With that language But I will say These are five films That have impacted me deeply That I've Watched well with one exception because it's really recent, but the others I've watched multiple times um, and and carried a lot of weight with me for one reason or another yeah. um, so it, you could almost say these are at least desert island movies from the past decade at least maybe for me mm-hmm. um, so they're really good um, in my opinion
1: awesome but, yeah. yeah that would be that would definitely be I would have to say the same about these films like I, I, I have a very hard time. Yeah, pinning down, like, and I, I think I said the same thing with the TV shows, like pinning down five favorites. Uh, for the most part, there might have been a couple on that list that I, I can tell for sure, but it, it's always, t- it's always tough. But I think these, yeah, the ones that I've never on even, there's some that I probably haven't seen in, you know, maybe five years or more, but still stick with me, still are something to think about. And I just think whenever I think of kind of like a film that even now just is something that I kind of think back on those some of those stand out a lot so
0: yeah i guess uh you, you ready to uh, get things started or do we want uh, to talk about any current events or anything first you oh, know that's, or... you
1: know i we used to <laughs> oh man so we used to do that and now i haven't <laughs> i've been totally out of it out of the it's loop. okay i'm
0: i'm a little afraid to talk about a current events i feel like this should be a happy place yeah uh,
1: and <laughs>
0: Just yeah, man. I like, this... Feel like I get mad, you know. I um, so so I'm going to spoil the lead a little bit. Okay, so one of my films is Avengers Endgame. Okay, and I will talk about that closer to the end of the discussion because it's at the back end of my list. But I actually um, left Twitter years ago because I wasn't using it and it just wasn't really beneficial for me personally. Mm-hmm. But I went back on to live tweet the entire MCU. Um, in order um, leading up to the, rele- the theatrical release of Endgame so that's what got me back on and I started following people all over again and stuff and man Twitter is the worst place on the internet it's just oh gosh it's it's awful uh, yeah, it's, really- <laughs> it's, you, it's, it's bad when you have to scrape to find the positivity mm-hmm. um, so usually you'd think uh, it, it's kind of like uh, the dark web or something is the template there and <laughs> The the nice things are the exception. I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's a bit much sometimes, but mm-hmm. I'm still on there now. Um, at SP Sandridge for anybody who's interested. Um, I don't really say anything all that entertaining, um, but you know whatever. <sighs> so anyway, digging. <laughs> any any anything you care to share on this on the state of current things, Tim?
1: <laughs> you know, that is. That's a good question. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Like things, things are. It's been hard to. I don't know. That's a tough. Yeah. In fact, I may even there's a couple films actually. I may even get it. Like it may kind of weigh. It may kind of delve into um, topics like current event type type items. But yeah. I guess you could say kind of crazy.
0: The world needs night cheese more than ever now. Yeah. So, perhaps we should dig in. Let's do this and uh, provide a few samples. So, um, all right. Well, let's get going. So, um, so we, as I stated before, um, each of us uh, picked uh, five selections from the past ten years that we're gonna try to give you a sort of a Cliff Notes version of why we liked them. Uh, maybe um, I'd see where the conversation takes us on these things, and um, yeah. So, um a preface real quick before I share my first pick. And I said, um I've noticed unintentionally that um all I first of all, this 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 part was intentional, sorry. Um <laughs> I'm going in I'm going in order of theatrical release <laughs> from oldest, oldest to newest.
1: Oh man, that's uh, a good idea.
0: Which I think I tried to do with T V, but I don't remember if I was successful <laughs> mm-hmm. with that or not. So um my oldest pick is going to be first and you know we'll come out to the most recent pick at the end. And um the Something I noticed in in trying to dwell back on these films is that um, mine, at least in my opinion, because I've also seen Tim's picks already here, Mm. um, is that I feel like mine are probably a little more, um, for lack of, I hate to use this word, but maybe more mainstream Uh um, (laughs) titles. Um, which I can be guilty of, of being a pioneer of the mainstream, I think, excuse me, a champion of the mainstream, like, you know, just kind of lifting that up sometimes. And, um, but I don't want people hearing me advocate for these films and just thinking, Oh, I just watch random mainstream films or, you know, whatever it just gets advertised and stuff. I think that, um, something that I noticed and the reason why these films are, are the ones that I chose were um sure they are all popular films, but well, four of them, I'd say one is a little bit of a dark horse. Mm. And then um, is that I discovered these films and they resonated with me at a certain time in my life. And so um, I'm doing a pretty poor job of describing this. I actually did this a lot better before we started here and talking with talking with you, Tim. but sometimes when you see a good movie, At the right time in your life It goes from being a good movie to a great movie And so I will give an example Before I go through all of these um, Is that the first time I really noticed That happening Was uh, Prior in the previous decade um, Was when I saw Little Miss Sunshine not long after My father died Mm. And I think um, I'll talk about my dad for a second Because going to the movies was probably that's where I picked up my love of watching movies was going with my dad to see, to see movies. And I, I remember even the most inane, like average predictable action movie or something like that with him. Um, and it was never really about the movie and stuff, but I have fond mm-hmm. memories of those because they're attached to that experience. And so um, the first movie I mean, I saw, I mean, I saw dozens and hundreds now of movies without him, but the first time I really remember going to the theater and I think I went alone um, and I saw Little Miss Sunshine and I think the theater might've even been empty too, like at least less than 10 people. Not a lot of people saw that movie, which is a shame because it's mm-hmm. wonderful, but this isn't the 2000 to 2010 episode. <laughs> um, and um When you see the right movie at the right time in your life, like it just attaches itself to you and it's with you for life. And so um, these five movies, I think I can say, will be with me for life for one reason or another. So um, I wanted to make that disclaimer because my first movie is probably – in the grand scheme of things, a very generic romantic comedy. (laughs) And uh, it is from 2010 and it's called Date Night. So, uh, Date Night. If you are not familiar with that, um, I really encourage you to check it out. When I was trying to research it uh, on IMDb just to get a refresher, I think currently, so if you're listening to this in the early months of the year 2020, um, I think it's free on Amazon Prime right now to watch. So, um, so please go watch it. It's hysterical, especially in, um, in retrospect, it's got a pretty star studded cast. So, um, Steve Carell and Tina Fey are the leads in the movie, but this movie also has Mark Wahlberg, Taraji Henson, Common, William Fickner. Uh, Ray Liotta, Mark Ruffalo, Kristen Wiig, like uh, James Franco and Mila Kunis are in it too. Like it's a real star-studded cast, and not all of them were necessarily at the height of their visible popularity at that point. Um, I think when this came out, Steve Carell and Tina Fey were both in the thick of leading both The Office and Thirty Rock so it was um you know it's like a real vehicle for them or it might have been close to the time the shows ended i'm not sure it was mm-hmm. it, it, somewhere around that time but anyway um they play this married couple um with with kids and they live a pretty monotonous family life and so um steve carell is is um on a whim like he he uh takes to heart um his wife's sort of quiet discontent at how their life is and um, they they find out that friends of theirs are getting a divorce, and and um, some of the stuff really just hits you, you know, if you're married, if you've been mar- married for a while, and just how um, how relationships might feel like they can get stale, um, and how if you're not careful, the paranoia of that can set in, and like you know, you know what's wrong with our life? Is is, is there something wrong with our life? You know, or, or are we taking things for granted? And so anyway, uh, Steve Carell is um, intent on doing something spontaneous for his wife and giving her a romantic date night in New York city. And then everything just falls to pieces (laughs) in a, in a comedic fashion. And so, um, what gets this movie so much for me? One is, um, I I really, um, I, I really connect a lot with both Steve Carell and Tina Fey's sense of humor. So it's, it's a really funny movie. And, um, and I don't know how much of the script was ad libbed between the two of them, but, um, I'm sure there was a presence of that at least a little bit and um they have just remarkable chemistry together um so it's really it's really fun and um and what is um fun to me is that I don't watch a lot of genre movies like this frequently I mean I have seen a lot of them I should say I don't rewatch a lot of them <laughs> um and my wife and I when we have time, haha, you know, but uh, if we can circle back around sometimes to watch that movie when it's just us, like we'll, we've probably seen that movie several times um, on active choice too, not like scrolling through channels and finding it, but then like, hey, we should watch Date Night again. And like, it's just um, their portrayal of the uh, ever. The, the tension present and marital arguing, the kind of marital arguing where you you don't feel any threat about the relationship ending. Like, you're just mad at each other, but, you know, you're going to be okay, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's so real. <laughs> um, and the way they argue with one another, it's just really fantastic. And then, like, um, the little uh, – Tina Fey in a few scenes goes on a few little rants about just – get just about parenting I think and like the irrationality of children and um and the thanklessness of motherhood and things like that which are all just (laughs) a a little too real and like it's like oh no one wrote that script for you I think that came from the heart Tina you know (laughs) um and so it's it's just really funny and I I will share one quote from it um they um so, this, this grand gesture that Steve Carell is trying to do uh, for his wife is to get into this exclusive high dollar restaurant in downtown New York City. And so um, they manage to sneak their way in there basically and like uh, steal someone's table and everything. And that's what sets off the course of events because they're identified, they're falsely identified as two criminals um, because because of the table that they stole, it was reserved for someone else. And it was supposed to be like a, a money exchange or something like that. But anyway, so, um, these two, uh, thugs basically escort them out into the alley. And one of them is common. Uh, oh yeah. Common. And, um, and, um, they're out in the alley and, uh, and, and they're a little bit tipsy already because they've just been having a good time at the, at the, at the, uh, restaurant. And, um, and Tina Fey says, like, okay, we'll follow you out, but I'm taking this risotto with me because it costs like, you know, like $80 or something. And so um, she's like sitting there eating it and they're like listening to them threaten them, but it hasn't really registered with them that their lives are in danger. And um, one of the thugs like smacks the dish out of her hand and it like shatters all over the uh, alley. And that's when they realize things have gotten real. But before sounding frightened, Tina Fey says, oh man, now I'm going to have to pick that up off the ground to eat it. <laughs> it just, oh man, I've oh, already spent too much time talking about this movie, and I'm sorry. No, but, no. <laughs> um, because uh, I promised we wouldn't do this since we have so many to go through, but listen, it's a uh, date night. Date night's a lot of fun if you have Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. Take a look there, and if it's on Amazon Prime, it's probably on some other service at the same time too. Yeah. Um, it tends to work that way these days. So um, go look that up. It's uh, you know, it's it's nothing groundbreaking necessarily plot wise, but it's a fantastic ensemble cast, and yeah. Tina Fey and Steve Carell together are just magic.
1: They, I feel like they like that 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 sort of duo that sort of couple steve carell Tina Fey, it was like meant to be like it had to happen
0: i had that... a real tom hanks meg ryan thing and yeah. it really it really disappointed me that they didn't do more films together mm-hmm.
1: yeah i'm surprised nothing yeah, has happened with them since at least i don't think i don't yeah
0: yeah, yeah. And
1: I, I don't know <laughs> but no i love it it's, that's one of those that has been a while i've probably since maybe even since i've seen it in theaters might be the last time i've seen it but it's Oh, man, it was a lot of fun. It was really great.
0: Yeah, so that came out um, in 2010, um, and I want to say, yeah, April 2010. So that came out a month month before my first wedding anniversary. Oh, man. So I'd been married 11 months uh, when we saw that movie, and I will say this, too. Like, this isn't going to mean anything to anybody else, but um, for all the time I spent going to the movies with my dad, my mom never does. Like she, should not hate movies, but she's just not interested in going to the movies or seeing movies. And that is one movie like she will watch repeatedly, <laughs> and it just like she she loses like her her faculties laughing so hard at that movie, which is it's a rarity for her not to not for her not to laugh like that, but but uh, to do so at a movie is um, is a rare thing for her. So mm-hmm. that that always sticks out to me too. That's awesome.
1: Oh man. That's a good pick, Date Night. That's a fun movie. Yeah, I was looking through and we were talking about, you know, like, current events and how it's nothing really cheery. And I feel really bad. There's not a lot on my list of five that's very cheery either. And it's it okay, man. Not... I'm
0: going to front load this thing. If I time.
1: <laughs> it was not intentional in the slightest. I didn't even think about that until um, uh, after the fact that I had kind of compiled everything. So it's all going to be pretty depressing from time to time. But... Uh... <laughs> anyways but these but again these are films that really I feel like have stood out and stuff I still think about and this first one okay so I'm gonna I'm going to kind of go in like descending order like fifth to first ish uh, there may be a few in the middle that could kind of go kind of go either way um but I thought I'd kind of do something similar like something like that just kind of in descending order so number five I guess for me is a film that kind of I, I kind of ended up choosing because it kind of went along the lines of what I did with Rectify in our TV episode, where it's a film that I thought was critically really successful, but not enough people saw it. I was really disappointed that it had been just kind of seen by very few. But there's so much about it that, um, but there's so much about this film that I think really gives it a lot of like um, weight and depth to it. It is a film from uh, 2013, and it is called Fruitvale Station. This film is, uh, you might have, we talked a little bit in the past, in the last episode, about a wonderful director named Ryan Coogler. He is just this uh, phenomenal, phenomenal director. He did uh, this as well as Creed, uh, Black Panther. This was actually his first directorial debut. And when I, I just told Stephen before we started recording, when I tell you his age, you're going to feel really old and feel like a failure. In life, or at least that's how I felt <laughs> when I first heard it. Like, uh, if you're listening, it is. he it was 26 when he made this film. It was his debut, fresh out of, uh, I think he went to USC. And, oh, man, for, for a first film, I mean, this is one of those films that I feel like there's several that I've watched. Where when I, I, I view, I, when I see, I just immediately assume it's just someone who's wise with age, you know, just lived a long life, just grown a lot, knows a lot and is wiser for you know for his life experiences and creates this masterpiece. And fell away about like um uh I think we talked about it in Old Night Sheet, but uh, Magnolia PT Anderson was like in his late 20s when he did Magnolia, which I, which is uh infuriating. <laughs> it makes me so mad. Uh, and so right. so happy. I mean so like so impressed, but um so he was uh 26 when he made this film. Anyways, so basically and I'm going to keep this brief uh, uh man just because I'm I know the more I talk about it the more it's going to like I don't know not probably be not be intriguing. It is a a day in the life of and it's a true story, but it's a day in the life of a young 22-year-old Oscar Grant III who you may know the name you may not. Um he was tragically killed on um New Year's Day 2009. He was uh, shot by police at Fruvale Station at this uh this BART this uh subway station. Um and it follows his kind of morning, you know. I guess December thirty first um, up until the end of his life on January first, and it is it is almost just like a kind of a slice a slice of life. It's there's not story wise. It's mostly just kind of him um, going throughout his day, interacting with his mother, um, his girlfriend, their four year old daughter, um, which makes things especially. I mean, all that makes things really heartbreaking, but. Um, after New Year's Day, um, there's just series of events um, that still kind of, for reasons that are kind of still even now unclear, um, he was shot in the back uh, by a police officer. And um, the the best kind of, during the, the officer's trial, he claimed that he thought he had uh, pulled out his taser and not his gun. And so he, his conviction was reduced and his sentence was reduced because of that. i um, still not sure if that's you know, how accurate that is, but it's just this, it's just this small, I mean, this small portrait of this 22 year old kid. So what I think what I, what I really loved about this film is even though it's, you can tell, I mean, even just from uh, how I'm describing this film, it's clearly set with in this backdrop of systemic social issues, systemic social problems, um, racial profiling. Um, There's a lot of these kind of indirect big, you know, big picture aspects of this film. But one thing that I really loved is it shows this human life. I mean, it shows this very personal story. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't hide uh, Oscar's imperfections, but it also doesn't make him out to, you know, to be this, this horrible person who deserved it, which I feel like in most cases, there's this jump to conclusions that if someone is shot by police, that clearly he must have been doing something wrong, or clearly he must have this background, this checkered past and had it coming or something like, you know, there's all sorts of like colloquial things we'll say about um, people in these situations. But uh, in the end, it's just this really powerful portrait story of this complex kid, um, flawed kid, that kind of, I think it leaves you grieving with his family more, more than, you know, like I guess the immediate emotional least for me was instead of like not like dealing with or trying to wrestle with the social problems, but grieving with this kid's family, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, which I thought was really powerful, really well done, and it still leaves you with I mean obviously a lot of questions, a lot to think about, and I really feel like it 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 points out at a lot of kind of social issues that that exist, and I think that's that's a that's something that really is important, really needs to be looked at. But I I love the the personal aspect of this like you you get to know him you know just in this one day you get to know who he is his family his relationship with his family and um i'm i'm um i'm rambling on more than i should about it um but it is it's a it's a really really i mean it's a tragic obviously it's a tragic story but it is just this uh, really beautifully complex story as well and um, i didn't know actually until uh looking it up like for for uh, just for this recording that it won um Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award at Sundance film festival. I had no idea, but um obviously I think it's really well deserving. Um so it is it is a really really fantastic film that I feel like deals with a, a lot of weighty issues, but but also at the same time it you see it's a, it's a personal story, it's not this uh, this uh, kid is not like an issue, and um I, I really I really loved how Coogler did that. I mean, he did it magnificently, and so that's why it's still one of those movies that I, I still come back to and I still think about often
0: he, he um well, I mean, he and Michael B. Jordan, oh man, together, yeah. I mean, um I think about Creed um i think about uh, black panther again ma- making the making the mainstream <laughs> choices here that i'm uh, mm-hmm. just said but um how when those two work together he really does a good job that together they do a yeah. really good job of humanizing um what what a lesser what what lesser talented people would yeah. struggle with with flawed characters yeah. you know mm-hmm. um cuz i think like in Black Panther, I think of Killmonger as this, you know, her oh, hands would have just been a straightforward villain. And he really yeah. does a good job of uh, what I'm just assuming is just, you know, further, further refining after Fruitvale Station is that, you know, mm. uh, providing a context and a um, layering of character to people. And it's like, sure, people meet there and one way or another in life and stuff but like how how coldly can you just sit back and say well they deserve to die you know um Mm -hmm. and are do our flaws like are we (laughs) i don't know are are we uh, if you have the right kind of flaws do they justify different Mm -hmm. judgment you know exactly um, exactly the wrong kind of flaws Mm -hmm. um so yeah that is um it's interesting, those questions. You know, you're talking about this sort of, um, you know, the discrimination and the profiling and stuff like that. Interestingly enough, I mean, this is years old, too, but I randomly happened upon a TED Talk today from Daryl Davis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen, heard of him, but he is so. a, um, he's a black musician who, uh, I can't tell his whole story, and it's worth looking up on YouTube or something, but he befriended a Klansman. Mm, okay. Um. And you know, cut to the end, he actually, by forging a relationship with a wizard of the KKK, got him to abandon it. Oh. Um. And he just started off with the premise of like, how when he first learned about racism as a child, um, thinking like, how could somebody hate me if they don't even know me?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know?
0: And and um, and you know, I, I think about. Some of the just senseless things that that happen, and how uh, um, hesitant I don't know, or obstinate we are to try to get to know people that are different than us, mm-hmm. uh, and how defensive we are, and how it's just how tragic
1: yeah. these
0: consequences are. Um, it sounds like it could sounds like um, this other film could be a good companion piece to that. Mm-hmm. It does kind of remind me of. I don't know if you've if you have heard of or seen uh, The Hate You Give. Uh, but, you know, um,
1: I I read the book. I actually have. Not, I want to see the film. I haven't seen it yet, but the, the film is really great.
0: Film's incredible. I'm sure. I'm sure the book is even better. Um, but uh, it's that's really well done too um, no on similar similar topics of you know mm-hmm. police and the black community and yeah. and, uh, and I think that of course that one is a little more current. Um, yeah. So that was kind of made in the shadow of the Black Lives Matter um, mm-hmm. it, incidents. Um there and so yeah. That's a, it's an interesting that's it's a bit Of a different story but it's adjacent I would say mm-hmm. To that Um yeah
1: well Freak yeah. Bell Okay yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to check that out one day Oh I, um, thought, I thought You'd seen that I'm sorry
0: I, No it's okay I'd, I'd always meant to And like I'd always spoken highly I just assumed it was great because mm. I'd seen so many other things that Oh yeah and, and Jordan and yeah. and, so, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like well this must Be awesome um <laughs> So Uh, I I trust that. Yeah. Well, um, next up, uh, I have another familial anecdote uh, for everybody. Uh, The next film, um, IMDb says it comes from 2014, but I did some digging. So this is actually a UK film, um, but it was released in the U.S. in January of 2015. Uh, The reason January 2015 is – an important month for me is because, uh, that was the month that my, uh, wife and I were reunited after being apart for, I'd say about 12 weeks, uh, while we were adopting our second child, uh, my youngest son, Solomon from Uganda. And, um, we had spent Christmas apart. Um, it was really hard and I was not, not in a super great place. Neither, neither was she. Um, but you know, I'm not going to talk about all all of that. This because this is actually a happy movie um, story, but it is a bit emotional in places. Um, and so uh, we were just elated to be together again, and the um, and the and and tackle the journey ahead of raising uh, now t- at this point in time two children um, together. And this. Um, I think just trying to take on the legacy uh, of film that my dad gave to me unintentionally, I think, Mm -hmm. especially early on, um, I carefully chose what I thought would be the first movie for each of my kids to watch. Um, Mm -hmm. that kind of fell apart with my two older kids. (laughs) And and so now we just, you know, whatever. But (laughs) my, um, my daughter, uh, Rosemary, the first movie I remember watching with her, and I don't know if this was chronologically the first movie, but um, this first movie I remember watching with her that she seemed to resonate with as she was still kind of getting used to fluent English um, was Despicable Me, um, which was good, mm-hmm. because uh, which is not my pick. I'm not talking about Despicable Me. Uh, the <laughs> Minions since then have kind of ruined that for me a little bit. But um, but that was a good movie because a lot of the humor and a lot of the... and plot what wasn't necessarily um, dialogue based you know in that movie so it was Mm -hmm. easier for her to understand what was going on and um, unexpectedly when we saw that movie there was a sweet adoption story in that anyways and uh, so that also carries here um, the first theater experience if my math is correct looking about when this film was released and when my family came back home this might have very well been the first time it took my son to the movie theater and it was to see the film Paddington so Paddington you know this is a property that has um, been around for years and storybooks and stuff and I can remember um, seeing trailers for it um, the previous year and, and stuff maybe even as early as the previous summer I remember seeing teasers like way before it ever came out and it was the scene of Paddington um, in the bathroom and he was just discovering all of these things that exist in the bathroom, like a toothbrush, not knowing what it's for. So he uses it as a key Q-tip instead. And it's just all kind of kind of disgusting and hilarious at the same time. A lot of physical <laughs> comedy, and so um, this movie is just uh, wonderful and um, wonderful and and wholesome. And I will say, in 2015, finding a what I would consider a consistently pure. Mm. Wholesome film for for the family is difficult not saying that there weren't dozens of movies that you could take the family to see but you know there's a difference between Paddington and say I don't know I mean this is not really in the right time frame but like Shrek or something you know that's just like one fart joke away from being a fast and furious movie when it becomes a teenager you know so it's just um (laughs) and so uh, the, the innocence of it was really great but not only that it's just a beautiful story um, you know for, for those of you if you if you never didn't grow up reading the books um, I, I didn't um, but I was somewhat familiar with the character um, he is uh, Paddington is a bear from darkest Peru <laughs> is is uh, how they mention his homeland and he is um, he is orphaned from his his uncle and aunt due to a um uh, I think it's like an earthquake or something that happens in the in the jungle, and um, mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's ma- if it's a man-made catastrophe from construction or not. Uh, that that might have yeah. happened. It's been a while since I've seen it, but anyway, he ends up in London, and it's very much like a World War II like children being shipped out of London during the or being shipped out of cities and stuff to, uh, into the countries, to countrysides to, for their safety kind of thing. And he ends up happening upon this family and, uh, they take him in and, and, um, from then on, he's trying to. He he ends up in London because his family ahead of prior to that have told him that they would take care of, that they had met an explorer from London years and years and years before. And they're like, and he's like, if you're ever in London, come see me, and I'll make sure you you know have a warm meal and you know come see me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's years and years later, and so he's like, well, London's where I should go. Um, very naive and innocent and stuff. And so, uh, he happens upon this family that takes him in and, uh, it's just a really cute, but really wholesome and wonderful film. And it's just well acted. Um, the father of the film, it's just so, um, I wish I could remember some of the quotes, but like, um, I I was, I was prepared to go into the movie to tolerate it. Like I figured there were some (laughs) things that, that, that I would have enjoyed, but I'm like here for the kids, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like when he's in Paddington station, um, s- Standing there Looking for someone to find Like um, Gosh what is his name The guy from Downton Abbey Hugh Bonneville Oh yeah um, So he's the father Of the family That takes him in And so um, a- a- At first they're like uh, That the-, the daughter Or whatever Sees sees Paddington standing there and they're like oh it's a bear and there's just something profoundly British and hilarious about the fact that they are in no way put off by the fact that there's a homeless bear <laughs> that <laughs> talks standing there and he's like mm. oh because she's like oh look at this bear and like they like makes eye contact with him and stuff and he's like don't make eye contact with him he probably wants a handout you know or something like that <laughs> and it's just like the 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 reactions the very British humor it felt a lot like um the sort of the style of humor and of course it would be because this is also a british property but like the the wallace and gromit series kind of things like this sort of like dry but also like disarming kind of humor sometimes and um it's just a wonderful story i was just reading um some of the trivia pieces on it and so nicole kidman is in it as well she plays the villain in the film and um apparently that was the first film she did after her children were of age to watch movies Mm -hmm. and so they were really excited to see their mom in a movie finally (laughs) only to find out she was the bad guy and they were really upset (laughs) um she she was but she was talking about how excited she was because she grew up reading those books and um and everything so um the um but the movie as a whole like is just um i know i've said wholesome so many times but it's this great Mm it's a great picture of family and how, um, you know, this, um, this struggle to suppress maybe some of your less, uh, widely acceptable pieces of your personality. Um, I'm not talking about like, you know, (laughs) you know, a. I, when I mean acceptable, I mean like maybe weird quirks of your personality, like things that societal pressures would tell you to suppress. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like a, it, a decades ago would be being so nerdy about you know superhero movies or something, but that's in fashion now, so it doesn't apply. But you know, or or whatever, and then you know each kid kind of has this own thing, and even even the um, the grownups to an extent, you know. And um, his Paddington's sort of naive transparency kind of helps them remove that a little bit and um and i will always be a sucker for for a well-constructed story about Mm. family and not being limited by blood and um yeah and so that's uh it's a really good um story and there's more um you know there's more to say about family and and um and embracing what makes you special and stuff, and I think my next pick. So I'll um I'll I'll stop talking then. <laughs>
1: uh, um you know <clears throat> you cannot go wrong with having Paddington or Paddington Two on a on a best of the decade list. I feel like I, I um I enjoy both. I feel like I I mean I love both. I. I, I told you again, off off recording, that for some reason, when I think about it, Paddington 2 seems to edge out more. Or like, I, I feel more towards it. But I think, and we've talked about this again, a lot of times watching certain films, it, some films may not be, like, you know, the best, you know, critically, you know, whatever. But if you, at whatever the time and place you watch it, sometimes they're, they're, that's what kind of makes the difference, you know? And um, Paddington 2, I feel like, was one of those for me. I just felt like it just really, I mean, just knocked me out and maybe maybe part of it's because i just didn't expect it to be as profound even yeah. like simple like profoundly simple like just profound of a simple idea but um it was, well, it was oh man and I that's know. kind of what art's all about in a way yeah. right mm-hmm. It's to
0: to resonate with you yeah. on on certain levels and like i think that's the that is one of the beautiful subjective things of art is that it doesn't really matter what somebody's tomato score is for something even though we do kind of use that as a barometer (laughs) something something hits you in a certain way like who's to say like i mean you know that's why that's why i typically don't like using the phrase top you know films or best you know films necessarily because i'm not really trying to look at something objectively but but how it resonates with you and what resonates with us the most and and um if if you can be affected by a piece of art and it makes you a better person um You know, it should exist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I will go on to my number four pick, kind of number four-ish. I (laughs) am going to say that probably number three-ish, number two-ish. But um, (laughs) this film, this number four film is uh, from 2014, and it's one of those, uh, well, I'll just go ahead. It's from 2014, and uh, it is The Grand Budapest Hotel um i you know i'm one of those people i've always really enjoyed Wes anderson you know um uh there's been maybe a couple of his movies that at first i thought was just too quirky for you know my taste at the time but then i'd watch it again and be like what what was i thinking i love this this is amazing and i way about most of his films but i've also felt like as he's as you know with each film i've kind of had this like mindset of you know he just kind of almost is like making a a caricature of a Wes Anderson, or like a pair, like everyone seems more all in than the last one, as far as just the Wes Anderson style and flair. And so, I I feel weird saying that this one, I feel like it was, uh, granted, I haven't seen like his more recent, like Isle of Dogs, and I think there was another one recent one that I haven't seen perhaps. Um, but I felt like this one was the, the most Wes Anderson film Wes Anderson has done. Like, it could, I mean, it was, it felt almost like he was making fun of himself in a way. <laughs> Uh-huh. But at the same time, there was this particular weight and gravitas, like, to this film. I thought that wasn't, and I, I'm probably wrong, but I felt like it just, there was a little bit more weight than his previous work that really just uh, kind of astounded me. Like, I feel like he kind of tricked you into this film with a lot of, like, the the lush, gorgeous filmmaking, the, 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 the humor, uh, the beauty to it, but he kind of tricked you into, like, really loving this film that had a lot of really deep kind of undercurrents of just bonds of like human friendship, um, uh, relationships. And, um, I mean, it's, it's basically this film that, you know, there's this, it's about the, obviously this hotel, uh, set in the 1930s. And it's like this kind of different way of life, slowly being eroded by kind of this looming authoritarianism and fascism almost not, I mean, not to get too crazy, but like kind of in the periphery, it's always kind of this encroaching, object in this film um until where um in the end you know it it really there's a lot of big events towards the end of the film that happen because of it really significant events and uh i just i i was uh, completely surprised at how not only is it just that you're you're really wonderful wes anderson in the sense of like there's a lot to say about relationships and humanity but then there's this just kind of prescient pointed message too as far as like um humanity like in general like not just direct person-to-person relationship but um, humanity as a whole um and i just i i was really really surprised with this one i expected to like it but man i thought it was a a really ambitious movie that completely paid off i mean it was it was incredible but it still had that wes anderson flair there was still some ridiculous laugh out loud moments um, the dialogue was uh, just quick, witty. I mean, it was everything that a Wes Anderson film is, but this added sort of a depth that I feel like really made it um, something something special. So I loved it a lot. And, uh, oh, I meant to mention uh, before with Fruitvale Station. Unfortunately, <laughs> it, is only, it is not online anywhere to stream uh, with a subscription. You, you have to rent it online. And the same goes for uh, Fruitvale Station, I believe. It used to be on Netflix, but I think it's off now. So you just have to... I have to rent it somewhere, or obviously purchase it, but purchase it, but um, but yeah. Anyways, Grand Budapest Hotel, my number four-ish pick. Um, I I really, if you haven't, I mean, it's one of those twenty fourteen. I feel like most people, if you're listening, you've probably already seen it, but uh, it uh, is one of those favorites of mine for sure.
0: Awesome, uh, and to clean up about that too, I don't think I, I didn't mention anything about Paddington either, which oh, I forgot, is fine because I, I, I don't actually I don't even think it's actually available on any subscription services at the mm-hmm. moment, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. You should just rent it, anyways, <laughs> from like a, from anywhere where you can rent movies instead. Mm-hmm. So. Um, okay. Well, my next selection I do think is currently available on Netflix. Um, that, that's the thing is that four out of the five movies I have here, I actually own personally. So I didn't even bother (laughs) to think about, um, which says something about how much I like them. So, um, okay. This next one, I'm trying to think about where to begin. Um, because I want to tie into the story here. Um, it's, um, So now we have entered into the portion of Steven's picks that are uh, Marvel Marvel, uh, Comics-based. So (laughs) I apologize. The next two picks are going to be deep in the superhero weeds. Um, But... Also, it's a passion of mine, at least the cinematic side of those things. Mm-hmm. So uh, who knows? This might be the most engaging discussion you'll get from me all night. So hopefully that'll make up for <laughs> um, for the fact that I've, I have to talk about it. Um, so the uh, that my, my next pick, my third pick out of the five, um, I think came out in 2017, maybe. I think it was released in theaters 2017. Um And I think I, but I didn't see it until actually it came out. um, uh, I think on Redbox. I think I actually rented it on Redbox or something like that. But it's um, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. So um, I remember seeing a trailer for this at work one day when I should have been working Mm -hmm. and (laughs) thinking to myself, wow, this looks really entertaining. But. Marvel snob that I am, I noticed that it wasn't a Marvel Studios film; it was a Sony film, which had been responsible for uh, what did Sony? Well, I mean, it ended up doing Venom um, and some mm. other stuff. But anyway, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like I'm like thinking like it'll it'll be all right, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll see it one day if if everybody's home and I have a chance to watch a movie that nobody else wants to watch with me or something. But. Um, Well, obviously Sony had done the previous, the Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans. So in an 18 year period, we had, we had experienced, this had been the sixth Sony Spider-Man film, not even counting the Tom Holland entries
1: into Mm -hmm. the MCU.
0: And so um, that's a lot. Uh, for for one character and so honestly I, in the back of my mind I was already thinking like Spider-Man fatigue you know mm-hmm. and uh, and this is um, for, for those of you if you've been living under a rock or you just don't watch superhero movies I think those are the only two scenarios where you may not be familiar with this movie at this point but um, it is a different take on the Spider-Man story Um the thing about the Spider-Man mythology is that, uh, and and a lot of Marvel comics is the idea of a multiverse. So there's multiple dimensions that exist uh, in their existence. So like heroes can exist in one world and then a different version of that hero exists in another world. Um, And it may be a completely different person or just a different version of that same person. Um, Anyway, that, 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 that there's, that could go down a whole different trail of things. But anyway, um, into the Spider-Verse is this sort of, and Spider-Man as a character I think kind of per, pursues that element of, mm-hmm. of their, of their world uh, more so than others. Uh, I remember seeing the Spider-Man cartoon in the early nineties and they even talked about alternate dimensions and stuff. Then they've even had like a video game, uh, a Spider-Man video game where you could play as different Spider-Man um, um, several years before this film came out, and um, back when I still had a PlayStation, um, which was it was a great game, by the way, uh, Spider-Man: Shattered Dimensions. If you're into gaming, um, and which would be super dirt cheap now, I'm sure, because it's probably like 10 years old. But um, anyway, uh, into the Spider-Verse. So this is this. Um, it's it is. This is going to sound weird, Tim, but it it reminds me a little bit of Watchmen. That we talked about last week in the sense that you can find equal reward um, or two different levels of reward in the content mm. if you know nothing about Spider-Man going into it yeah. or if you know a lot about Spider-Man going into it. Um, it's equal. I would say – I don't know if I'd say it's equally rewarding. But whether you, you know nothing or you know a lot, you're still going to really enjoy it. And so my story um, here – was um, this was an unexpected gut punch for me? Mm. This move. So the story centers around. Uh, for those of you who know, um, you know about Spider-Man. You was Peter Parker, bit by a radioactive spider, gets spider powers, saves the day, whatever. So this actually centers around a different Spider-Man named Miles Morales, who is a biracial, um, black Hispanic kid in Brooklyn. Uh, New York, um, who undergoes a similar origin story, I'll say that. Um, and uh, but there are subtle differences to that. And um, I remember vividly. I can't tell you the exact date or month, but uh, well, I could probably. Never mind. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. Um, my wife and my daughters, I think, had like a ladies' church event or something. They were all attending. So I think this might have been the first time me and my sons. Um, had just us hanging out at home for the night and so at this point I'm like yes like this is the opportunity to finally like show them something maybe their sisters wouldn't care to watch or my wife wouldn't not that she wouldn't want them to watch but that she wouldn't you know, be bored by or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting here thinking like, now we can get into like Batman yeah. or Superman or something <laughs> yeah. like that. You know, finally I can show them this and I'm sitting here thinking to myself like, well, what about, you know, cause, cause I've got a seven year old and a 14 year old. So uh, you've know, got to find that happy medium between the two of them um, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I see this and I think it was on Amazon or something. So I might've actually just gone ahead and, and, and impulsively bought it. Digitally Thinking like I'm sure it'll be good enough That they'll maybe Want to watch it again And dude I was not ready mm-hmm. I was not ready For how good This movie was yeah. This Before I get into it Further Let me say Purely objectively um, Undisputed This is the best Spider-Man film Ever made Oh um, yeah That that includes Tom Holland Tom Holland might be My favorite Live action Spider-Man
1: But mm-hmm.
0: even, even Homecoming And Far From Home Don't touch this movie um, Yeah And uh, the others aren't even in the discussion. Um, And um, this, so this was the kicker for me as far as the emotional resonance at the time was uh, the story of Miles Morales being this um, black Hispanic kid in New York and trying to figure out where he fits in. And also this was the first movie I saw after Stan Lee died. Mm. And what I didn't know was that stanley also makes cameos in the non-mcu movies and i'll give a bit of a spoiler so there's this huge dimensional rift that happens that causes multiple spider-mans to show up in Miles' city after miles has his radioactive spider moment and he's still trying to figure out who he is and the catalyst the catalyst of that happening is the death of the spider-man we all have known over the years which is like prime peter parker mm-hmm. and so there is a citywide mourning and vigil <clears throat> for peter parker and miles goes to this costume shop to buy a spider-man costume to sort of remember him and stan lee's the one working behind the counter yeah. and i'm like you're already in a heart wrenching moment because spider-man is dead and like this is where knowing deeper things comes to a thing like i'm sitting here trying to choke back tears in front of my boy because there's no way i could have explained to them why this was so emotional to me um and they recognized him because they watch all the mcu movies and they see him pop up in every movie and like oh it's that guy and they they do know that he's the guy that created all the heroes you know Mm -hmm. and so i told him that but he has this moment where he's talking to miles and he's like I think he said something like, I like to think we were friends, you know, him and Spider-Man. And it had been pretty well documented that Spider-Man was Stan Lee's favorite hero um, out of all the ones that he had made. And I don't don't think I'm making that up, but I think I read that somewhere. That was one of his favorites. Um, The ones he held closest to his heart. And um, and he just, and he says, and this is the theme throughout the movie. And, um, you know, Miles is trying to figure out um, how he's going to exist in this world. And uh, he buys, and it's one of those like really cheap one size fits all Halloween mm-hmm. costumes. And he goes, well, what if it doesn't fit? And Stan just looks at him and he goes, it always fits eventually. And I'm like, oh, "Wow, what are you doing to me, Stan? You know? And, <laughs> um, and then they cut to a sign that says no refunds. And it's just like a, you know, it's, it's a gag, but like it's meant to hit you in the gut for a second. But, um, the, um, Every element of that movie, I, it's, I'm so tempted to say, is just perfect. Um, it's excellently cast. Um, uh, gosh, what's his name from New Girl? Jake Johnson um, mm-hmm. oh, plays an alternate version of Peter Parker, who's fantastic. Nicholas Cage shows up as a version of Spider-Man. <laughs> John Mullaney is a fantastic um, alternate Spider-Man. And um, Leah Schreiber plays... Uh, as kingpin was really uh, well done, and then also um, Mahershala Ali um, mm, yeah. is Miles's uncle in that movie, and uh, just so good. Uh, the soundtrack to that movie, my kids still love to listen to the soundtrack in the mm-hmm. car, and um, is just a um, just a just a just a perfect background character to the movie. Um, it is a perfectly selected soundtrack and yeah. crafted soundtrack for the film. And um, the idea um, – this this really is such a great antidote for the sort of thematic problem Spider-Man always has is that he always has to cope with the fact that he has to bear this burden alone um, yeah. because he's the only one like himself and he has to keep the secret from everybody or else he would risk putting in danger the people he loves. And that's the story you always hear in all the Spider-Man movies, and it's consistent. I mean, that's that's kind of how it's written. But this movie, with the sort of conflation of all the different Spider-Mans showing up together, they realize they're not alone. And um, that serves as a strength and a catalyst and an awakening. And um, I can say without uh, pause, pause, although I just paused then, so I guess I'm a hypocrite. Um, the... Um, <laughs> I was just taking a breath, though. The um, every origin story superhero movie has the the trope moment where the hero fully realizes his powers and kind of has that victorious, maybe superhero pose moment. I'm thinking of like Iron Man blowing up the tank and walking away from it. Yeah, in slow motion, yeah. You know, Wonder Woman crossing the World War One battlefield. You know, mm-hmm. all these things. Miles's moment is the best moment in any superhero movie ever um it's um it's just the way it is uh the way it's crafted um of him like standing on a he's like uh pressed up against a skyscraper window and he's just re-listening like in his head to all these things that all the people he loves has told him is things like our family doesn't run from things he's like you know you have this gift miles i just want to see you use it you know and all these things and um it's a uh, put forth to this song called what's up danger, which sounds just so it just feels weird coming out of my lips, but you know, it's, it's fine. But, um, it's just, oh gosh, it's just so perfect. And, um, it's this sort of montage of him equipping himself and sort of fitting into the skin of Spider-Man and making it his own. And, um, uh, it's just perfectly crafted and it's just so good. And, uh, and the very end is, is just this just his line. They have this running gag too. Every time you meet a Spider-Man, where they throw this comic book at the screen and they give mm-hmm. you just this super truncated backstory of each Spider-Man,
1: mm-hmm. uh, and
0: and and uh, at the end, and they go because they they pretty much go because I'm the one and only Spider-Man or yeah. whatever. <laughs> and um, and at the end, he does his flying through the city victorious thing. Right as the credits are about to hit, and he just says, you know, because I'm Spider-Man and I'm not the only one. And yeah. um, and it's just such a great um alternate take on what the foundation of that character has always been
1: Yeah.
0: and um i think just realizing that you know you're not um uh, i don't know you know that you're not alone and yeah. uh and you know you're you're not alone in your pain you're not alone in your in you know your potential for for great things um And just, you know, going through uh, moments, too, of, like, going through life and, like, not letting things stay left unsaid uh, amongst people that you love and stuff, too. And it's just – oh, man, it's just so – I could go ten different directions with that movie. It's just so, so good. Um, And there's this – I will say this, and then I'll shut up about this movie, is that there's a YouTube channel – I think the original channel was called Cinema Sins. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, Tim. But
1: Yeah, yeah, I have.
0: Yeah, it's just like super like satire and nitpicky thing of like, these are little things that are wrong with every movie, you know. And um, at first I saw it and I thought it was kind of cute. But then I was like, man, this is super negative. I can't watch this anymore. So they created a sister channel to it called Cinema Wins. And they do (laughs) a positive spin on movies. So instead of everything wrong with Spider-Man, they do everything great about Spider-Man. Oh, that's great their video on Into the Spider-Verse is way deeper than what I just said but it just shows you how well crafted that movie is and how perfect it is and their their little beat on that moment I described of Miles having his like fully realized superhero moment is is just uh, just so excellently said um, so yeah go look that up on YouTube guys if, uh, if you ever want to because it's <laughs> fantastic everything well, Jeff, great about Spider-Man out. the Spider-Verse yeah I'll send it to you if you don't, if you don't have this <laughs>
1: Okay, awesome. That film, that's another one that I feel like is perfectly, like, if it, being on, like, a best of the decade list, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel awful. Like, it feels just right. Like, that, that movie. I, 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 I've told other people this, like, after seeing it, like, I'm like, I just want to be in, like, that pitch meeting because I don't know how any company, any studio, sign. I mean, it just seems so outrageous yes. i'm so shocked that anybody would say yeah let's do that I And mean, who greenlit right. that like that is why but it turned out perfect but i'm just like, yeah <laughs> who thought like yeah we should like that sort of risk that it took that those yeah. chances i mean it's man
0: yeah i don't know how that that movie gets expected at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also too i think lord miller had something to do with that the guys who oh, made yeah. the movie mm-hmm. i think they were involved in like i just don't quite I mean, cause, cause I remember hearing them being involved in like, I liked the Lego movie, but I was like, mm. eh, them and Spider-Man. I don't know. <laughs> they, they, man, it was just fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was a great one. And even the way, just the way, um, it's an animated film, but the way they even animated it to feel almost like a comic book. Like I didn't know until after leaving, but like the frame rate is even less than 24 frames. It's like, I'd say maybe 12 or I don't know. I, something, there's something about it that makes it feel more like a, Comic book. I don't know. It's it's it's. There's so much about it that the yeah. the imagery. I mean, just a lot that they did to really. I mean, make it shine. I mean, it is a. It's a totally unique. Thing. I mean, it's it's.
0: Yeah, I've I've never seen anything like it.
1: Yeah. So my number three ish again. Number three ish pick is the one I'm I'm the most afraid of of butchering and getting everything wrong, and just having a horrible. So I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pretty brief and concise about it. But this is another film that. It's just, uh, you know, since I saw it back, I mean, almost at the beginning of this this past decade, maybe, it came out in 2011, I, I still, still think about this film. I'm still just, and it's one of those, like you said, you own most of your films. This is one of them, I, we, we own so few films at home now, and this is one that I, I kind of bought pretty quickly after seeing it. Um, this is, a, again, a film from a 2011. and actually won Best uh, Foreign Feature Film that year, and it is called A Separation. This is a film that was also written by Farhadi, um, who he, he himself is just a, 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 a brilliant, brilliant filmmaker. One of my favorite filmmakers right now. Um, he actually won Best Foreign Feature Film as well in 2017 uh, for another film. but um, Which I still, sadly, have not seen yet. I really need to see that one. But um, anyways, this film, um, it is available on Netflix, which is really exciting. And I had really lofty plans of um, watching it again before giving this recommendation because it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, But it's still, I mean, it, this is one of those films I love because it is a, there's a relatively simple plot and story, but that just kind of uh, when certain inciting incidents and certain events happen, it just snowballs and turns into this kind of out of control um, disaster. So the basic plot of the film is that uh, there's a husband, a wife and a daughter, um, who are um, living in the same home as the the husband's father, who they're taking care of because he has Alzheimer's. And the uh, the the wife is growing kind of increasingly weird, not just of that situation, but just of situations in general. She really feels like uh, if the family were to move to just somewhere else, they would have more opportunities, better chance at just success, better chance at finding, um, just not happiness in life, but just finding more opportunity. Uh, and she is very... Um, uh, increasingly adamant about this this uh, this situation, this goal, enough to the point where she ends up filing for divorce or kind of you know suing for divorce, basically, and wanting to take her daughter with her. The way Farhadi uses all these different like the like the, even in the even in the title of the film, separation, all these kind of divisions uh, within uh, Iranian culture, but just in I mean life in general, uh, gender. Um, religion social class social hierarchies they all kind of combat each other uh but there's this kind of not i won't say twist but there is a a, a moment uh, an event that kind of just blows everything up that just kind of makes everything um so much more magnified and uh precarious and I will not say anything more, but it just kind of becomes one of those, a thriller. I mean, it might be too strong of a word, but it becomes a very suspenseful, very taut, heart-wrenching film that just shows there's just so much that this film has to say about our own human condition. And if you are some, well, I was going to say, if you're someone who is okay with subtitles, but uh, really, I don't, I don't care. (laughs) You should watch this regardless. Um, I would say um, this is one of those few films. If if you can, I would just since especially since it's on Netflix, you can watch it anytime. I would just throw up there at the top of your list or close to the top. It is, it is, a surprise for a film so entrenched and obviously in the culture of Iran and the uh, the politics, the the you know variety of differing laws and just culture. Um, it is surprisingly universal, and and a lot of what it has to say, it is it is a uh, just an, an intense, but really rewarding, rewarding film. I, I, yeah, I couldn't recommend it more highly. I guess if it were number one, I couldn't recommend it, more. but I, it, it's, it's up there. Like it's, it's right. I, again, it's like three ish. I, I kind of put these last three. I mean, it's all, all these are just like, I really, oh my goodness. Um, Farhadi is just amazing. And I, if it's okay, this is going to sound weird. This is not related to the film, but I, this is also one of those, um, he's one of those, um, I don't, I don't really remember a ton of like acceptance speeches. Maybe I should, I don't know. I uh, mean, I should, or maybe they're, it's, it's
0: fine that you don't yeah, remember a like, lot of acceptance. It, speeches. Okay,
1: good. But um, Oscar Farhadi's acceptance speech is really brief, but just really beautiful. And I would have to say, I feel like it's, it's so prescient and so important even now. So I was going to read that if that's okay. Yeah, and I may even I feel like we're we were talking about like current events and what's going on. That these two speeches kind of reflect a lot of what's even what's happening now, surprisingly. So okay, and I'll will after that I'll be done with the review. But um here's Farhadi's speech for uh, a separation. Um at this time, many Iranians all over the world are watching us and I imagine them to be very happy. They're happy not just because of an important award or film or filmmaker. But because at the time when talk of war, intimidation, and aggression is exchanged between politicians, the name of their country, Iran, is spoken here through her glorious culture, a rich and ancient culture that has been hidden under the heavy dust of politics, I proudly offer this award to the people of my country, a people who respect all cultures and civilizations, and despise hostility and resentment. Hmm. Oh, man. man. It's still, that's still just...
0: And stuff like that, man, like how easy it is to forget uh, i think it was i think it was my angelou who says you know we're more alike than we are unalike mm. and Absolutely. uh just how how much we share in common on a um i can't think of the word i'm saying but just just on the level mm-hmm. in which we live in day-to-day mm-hmm. life you know okay. um and just, uh, do you remember, I think we talked about this, uh, on our, on, in our previous incarnation. Did we talk about that movie, the kingdom, the Jamie Fox, uh, I think we might have, it was like, you know, height of Iraq war and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, um, I think I remember Jamie Fox was like a, he was like a soldier or a captain of a SWAT team of some kind of thing. I don't know. It was just, but he had gotten paired up with a uh, Saudi or, or Iraq, uh, iraqi um general to help solve a murder of troops or something like that that happened in a terrorist attack and that just just them kind of bridging their sort of by the end of the movie you find out like even the soldiers and the terrorists really are not all that different in the way they view what is valuable to them as people Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to say that soldiers and terrorists are one and the same i'm just trying to say that like at the end they have this dichotomy of uh, um the um uh, soldier telling one of his com to one of his uh compadres or whatever you know about avenging the death of the soldiers that they lost and he said i told i told this other soldier i said we're going to kill them all um and you see the exact same conversation happening on on the side of the terrorists as well mm. like speaking to his children or something like yeah. They have killed our people, and we're going to kill. You know, like we are not all that different. You know, um, mm-hmm. and I think if we can remember what we have in common, uh, I, th- I mentioned Daryl Davis earlier when we were talking about uh, Fruitvale Station. I think um, the uh, the man who befriended a Klansman, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he, his point in his that TED talk he gave um, was to say never stop the conversation. Um, because if you continue to engage the conversation there isn't a room there isn't room for hostility and violence mm-hmm. like it's it's only when yeah. the conversation stops that things get violent
1: mm-hmm. and he's yeah.
0: um, like continue the conversation even if it's uncomfortable even if you disagree yeah. just continue the conversation you know learn mm-hmm. from one another yeah. and he's like it's fine to disagree with one another but continue the conversation mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, that's, and that's and that is the hard thing to do to to wrestle and to relate and to intentionally engage is the hard work yeah because in a way hostility and violence and judgment and um prejudice honestly are all kind of easier to do Mm -hmm. emotionally easier you can detach and it's uh it's less burden to bear in a way it feels like it's less burden to bear um it's tempting in that way and uh but the hard work uh, uh the hard work is love, Yeah, um, yeah. but it's the, best, the yeah. best work.
1: Well, if I may, this is a perfect somewhat segue. I Not to keep sure. going about this guy, but there's also a speech from his win in 2017, which was, which kind of is, I mean, it's so, it's so awesome you, you moved in that direction because it's almost exactly, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of perfect as well, even though he actually did not give the speech he had to, um, someone else accepted the award for him. Um, And so just to kind of put it in perspective or put it in kind of in context uh, of the time that this was happening, this was 2017, I guess, it came out in 2017, so I guess the beginning of 2018 when the awards were hosted. And um, so, and I'm sure, you know, you know, within the last few years, I'm sure we all know, like 2017, right after um, Trump was inaugurated, he immediately kind of enacted a a travel ban on several um, nations, including... Um, Iran, Iraq, which was later removed, uh, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, Yemen. Um, Anyway, so Iran was on this list, and um, so he did not come because of that, but I'll I'll, uh, read this. I'm sorry I'm not with you tonight. My absence is out of respect for the people in my country and those of other six nations whom have been disrespected by the inhumane law that bans entry of immigrants in the U.S. Dividing the world into the us and our enemies categories creates fear, a insightful justification for aggression and war. These wars prevent democracy and human rights in countries which have themselves been victims of aggression. Filmmakers can turn their cameras to capture shared human qualities and break stereotypes of various nationalities and religions. They create empathy between us and others, an empathy which we need today more than ever. Thank you on behalf of Mr. Farhadi. And and I feel like even though this is for the salesman, I feel like this is just a a perfect example of like, even in um, a separation, they, he, he really pointed to, I mean, the entire film, even though it's obviously set in a very specific context of Iran, uh, specifically Iranian culture, there is this sort of shared human quality that the film possesses. Does well, he creates well in his film, but also just in, in, in uh, his speech just kind of emphasizes that need for, I think it's really, um, really important right now. Anyway, That's so that was uh, a, A lot of rambling, (laughs) a lot of rambling. But I feel like also that's kind of a you know, timely and current. Obviously, this this whole you know, not necessarily film related, but just in speaking of current events, I thought this was this film, even though it came out in twenty eleven, this speech in twenty twelve and twenty seventeen. It just really felt like he could have he could be saying this right now. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so that is my number three ish pick, A Separation. Again, it's on Netflix, and I encourage you anything you can. I think The Salesman, even which. Again, I have not seen yet, um, but I will soon. I think it's on Amazon Prime actually um, to watch. So I highly recommend. And I think it's loosely based on um, Death of a Salesman. Um, hmm. But anyway, so recommend those. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it for me.
0: All um, right, man. Uh, well, there is no smooth transition. Uh, <laughs> I'm so I did not into, think about this. So sorry. No, it's 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 okay. That's it's perfect. really okay. <laughs> Um, the, fa- the lack of transition Will serve as the transition um, For this next one um, We could not Get more polar opposite I think in terms of Niche and accessibility Than my next pick Which is um, Not only another superhero movie But the highest grossing box office film Of all time at this point In history uh, which is Avengers Endgame um, Now mainstream accessibility being what it is you you would must really hate the genre to not have seen this movie probably mm, yeah. or been really poor or really busy <laughs> um maybe or, or something like that um this is available on disney plus now um if uh, if you haven't seen it or you want to watch it again or just watch the last hour of the movie which i do frequently um just for all the feels we're coming out of uh Ten-year range here that we've been looking at some of the things that have impacted us a lot. I chose Endgame because I wanted, I knew I had to pick something from the MCU because that was such an impactful experience. And what better thing than the pretty much the culmination of all of it so far? Because when we stopped, when we stopped doing Night Cheese, we probably only had one Avengers movie out. I think at that point. So, like, they were into the first phase because we were we had stopped around 2012 or so, um, which was when the first Avengers film came out, and um, so so much has happened since then. The impact of this movie is for me is, um, gosh, there's just I'm trying to decide what I want to say about it because there's so (laughs) many things that I love about it. From listen, from your standard like summer blockbuster standpoint, it's phenomenal. They have done an amazing thing, and it's uh, with this project, and for. For everybody who wants to crap on Disney for having a monopoly um, or for putting, you know, this is going to sound like it's in bad taste since we were just talking about like indie filmmakers from other countries and all this other stuff, but, you know, for putting little guys out of business or something like that or other studios, looking at the MCU and from the last episode, The Mandalorian, if they can use their money. To create an influence, to create stories like these two examples, they can remake whatever the heck they want. As far as I can, am concerned, um, because the stories they're the stories they're telling they they are they are able to um, um, disnify these things. Like if you if you look just even at the Captain America. Um, I guess you Trilogy I guess you call it a Trilogy (laughs) And the arc Of that character Being able to put They I think I said this Like when we were Doing it back in the Back in the day But they out Superman Superman With Chris Mm. Evans And like That That is what Superman would look like In the modern world Is a guy Mm. With a pure heart Trying to figure out What to do With This devotion To the government That he used to have Knowing that he Doesn't trust it anymore And like, what does it mean to still possess that sort of ideology and stuff and, 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 um, you know, the, the freedom versus accountability and, and Black Panther, like, are you kidding me? You know, the subtext of that movie and everything and Mm -hmm. like, what, what should a, what should a wealthy advanced nation, what is their responsibility to the rest of the world? Is it to close itself off or is it to help those who are in need? Yeah. Um. and Endgame, um, if you're not paying attention, will sneak up on you in how powerfully well it handles all the various forms of
1: grieving. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, I um. And, and, and the thing is, is that it's such an achievement. First of all, it's it's a fantastic achievement that they took 24, 25 films and were able to tell a cohesive story without losing too much of their cast, mm-hmm. losing too much of their narrative. Being able to wrangle directors like Kugler and James yeah. Gunn, like yeah. those two guys. Like, I mean, <laughs> not that they don't get along, but like they're just completely different, you know, approaches mm-hmm. to things, right? Um, yeah. And getting guys like that to still maintain this one near overarching narrative It's like having a film. It's having a film quality 24 episode TV season almost mm-hmm. and you know you get All of the visuals and all the moments and all the star power of film With all the character development and depth of a great television show mm-hmm. um And so the fact that they even pulled that off was amazing because this was like the ultimate danger number three, so to speak, trilogy. We talked about the curse of trilogies a long Mm -hmm. time ago. And like this was the this was the ultimate like minefield for them with Endgame. Of how they were going to manage all this stuff And they Stuck every single stinking landing I can imagine And anything that they didn't stick They had done such a good job earning Permission to fail for mm-hmm. Over the past 10, 10 years That it was okay yeah. <laughs> Like like Their their approach to time travel Was really heady um, and, and still A little confusing but at the same time I'm like it, it's not that important Like just look at what's going on and all this other stuff. Everything else connected so well. And um, I'll try to focus on a couple of things on Endgame, and then I'll just kind of shut up because I mean I'm I'm sure people have seen it, and um, and I'm probably not breaking any new ground here, but I'll try to pick a a few things. Um, It there there's something to be said about I don't know if you do this, Tim, but at some point when I was a teenager. Or a young adult, maybe in college, mm-hmm. I started to get this knack for wanting to try to anticipate what was going to happen in a plot, mm, yeah. uh, just to see what was happening, um, and I just couldn't turn that off. You know, I think it was sometime after I saw The Usual Suspects, maybe, and I was just blown away by the twist in that movie, mm-hmm. uh, or it's, it, that that e- I even ruined the sixth sense for myself in that way because I already started <laughs> started guessing. Like after the first scene, I'm like, huh, I wonder. And then I forgot, and then later I was like, dang it, why did I even have that thought? Yeah. Um, but um, for the, um, the the end of this film, you, you know just from the sheer cynicism of real-world economics that a movie that you walk into where Spider-Man and Black Panther are dead – they're not going to be dead by the end of this movie
1: mm-hmm.
0: because they have made too much money There <laughs> <laughs> black panther just made a billion dollars worldwide before this movie came out I'm like he's going to be alive by the end of this movie. It's just a matter of how they're coming back Yeah, and at what cost to the story is it going to be? Mm-hmm. um They had me so invested in the climax of that film That I had forgotten they were coming back when they did.
1: Yes. Yeah, same here and
0: that is a phenomenally difficult thing to pull off. Like, and, um, they have so many, so many little lines that had, I had mentioned earlier. Um, I can't remember if I said this before we actually started rolling or if I said this during the episode, cause I can't keep track of myself anymore. But I, I came back to Twitter to live tweet the, the MCU and, um, for just for fun. And, um, so the last, you know, 20 movies were still kind of fresh in my mind. And it's amazing how many, like, Easter egg lines of dialogue were there. How many, like, how many roles were reversed in certain lines. Or, um, all these little things. And, um, I am, uh, just so... The, the more the more times I saw it, I actually... <laughs> I saw it, like, three times in the theater. Um... And it was still great every single time. Um, And the way that they took Chris Hemsworth and the job that he did as Thor in that movie and dealing with with grief, um, it was still fresh in my head, too, like how um, it it does this great job of showing you the um, insufficiency of revenge Mm -hmm. um, and how that still leaves you empty. Um, and his coping with grief while it's like played for laughs, I wouldn't say it's played for laughs, but Chris Hemsworth has such good comedic timing. It's kind of hard not to laugh in some of those (laughs) moments, but even towards the end of the film, you can see him desperate to just want to make something right in his life. And he's so, he's so burdened by that. And it's just so well done. Um, that was, that was amazing. Um, and the the payoff to the final battle in that movie is like nothing I've ever seen, and and it's like um, how they managed to weave so many different characters, kind of getting their moment in, in those in those battles is great. And I'll say one more thing. About it uh, because it's just something That's really near and dear to me that I don't think People talk about a lot with those Because it's auditory and it's not really Visual mm-hmm. is uh, Alan Alan Silvestri who has done the scores oh, yeah for the Avengers films So you know Alan Silvestri if that's not a name that's familiar To you he's best known prior to this I would say for uh, Back to the Future And uh, Forrest Gump He did the scores for both of those films And I mean he's done others too but those are always The two that jumped out at me Um there is, um, there is the main Avengers theme, you know, that you can always hear in your head, you know, and um, which, first of all, by the way, I will put, I will, I will put on the proverbial poker table of movie themes with any John Williams score and with any Danny Elfman or Hans Zimmer score to stand shoulder to shoulder with any of those, the the way it evokes um, emotion and stuff through the scenes that it plays in, but the um the way in which they carefully um have the the cues of that theme song come out throughout the different avengers titled films which would i would say you know avenger the the proper avengers film from 2012 and also uh infinity war there is this little build-up moment in the in the score of anticipation right before um right before it it the the beat drops proverbially, you know and and it Mm -hmm. hits the actual melody and in the first Avengers film it's at the moment where you see Banner turn into Hulk and punt the I'm always angry line and you don't even I never even heard it I never even heard it in the score up until I went back and like we're, we're watching some sort of greatest hits moments I'm like oh that's that same moment from, and I'm thinking from Endgame the whole time and I'm building up to that well that same moment that same auditory cue also happens in Infinity War when Thor shows up to save the day, and I don't oh, hear wow. it either. It's it's when you see like the the, whatever it's called the, the Bifrost I think that the big light pound down onto the ground of Wakanda mm-hmm. and you see this axe flying around and stuff and then it comes back and then as soon as you see him, visually the you know the score swells up, and then that same moment is at the moment of just pouring all the way down the line of heroes and um and uh and it's so it's so corny It's not corny but i don't know maybe it is but um i didn't even you know i did i I was not into avengers so much as a property as a kid you know like uh, when i was a kid x-men was popular spider-man was popular batman was popular avengers was just not really a thing that was a big deal um but so so the notion of the phrase avengers assemble was not like a it's not a quote that was really in my uh, vocabulary as a kid playing with toys or whatever but they teased it all throughout the the saga and the moment they actually get it is when every stinking living hero is united and getting ready to to uh, do that. And then that's when they give you the moment. And it's during that line, right, when he yells out, like, the auditory moment is when Cap is yelling Avengers symbol in that moment. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I, I'm not somebody who gets particularly loud in theaters, even for movies I like. But it was so it's such a different experience watching that especially early in its run when people are seeing it for the first time and stuff and reacting to everything. And, um, it's just such a perfectly like executed conclusion, I should say to, mm-hmm. to so much that was done. And, um, oh gosh, I thought there was one more thing I wanted to say, but I can't really remember. Um, in that just, um, Oh, yeah. So the moment um, we talked about in the beginning, like when you know something's going to happen, but then when it comes, like you've already forgotten that you were anticipating that. Right. So the the moment of the heroes returning is this surprise to me for one thing. But I'm sitting here thinking in my mind. So like there were maybe 10 heroes, I think, that were primarily fighting in Infinity War and like half of them are gone. And, and I know they're coming back at some point and then I can, you know, they have the moment where they tease, Hey, they're about to re-enter," And I'm like, Oh, here we go. You know, everybody's excited. And, um, you know, Dr. Strange creates these portals for, for them to come out of. And I'm sitting here thinking, you see the first one happen and it's a portal from Wakanda coming to the battlefield and see Black Panther and his sister and Akoya. I'm like, okay, okay. So all the people that were in Wakanda and Affinity War are going to come out of that one. And then there's going to be another one where the Guardians and like Spider-Man are go- and Dr. Strange are going to come from and they're going to come out of those two portals and then it's going to be like it's going to be like 15 against a million but they're all heroes so it's going to be fine. And, and they they do this shot where a Falcon comes flying out of the Wakanda portal and it follows him around the battlefield and there's like a hundred portals that open up instead and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, how? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden they do not bring all the heroes they bring everyone and like every every third rate foot soldier from every franchise they've given at that <laughs> point like every wizard every guardians of the galaxy ravager every asgardian every and I'm like oh my gosh this is really everyone coming to to unite and that moment um if you should go back and and watch it at some point uh, or if you guys haven't study um isn't it amazing like chris evans was like like pretty boy actor before he became captain America. Not that he's probably, you know, not that he's not immensely attractive now, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> it's, it's just not, um that, that, that I don't think his acting chops were given much credit. Not that he, yeah. and I don't mean this in a mean way. I don't, that he had done a whole lot to earn, earn any, prior to this Mm -hmm. but in that scene where he's looking like he's on death's door and he's going to get up and fight anyway which that is like the most Superman Captain America thing where he just straps in the shield and he's like I'm going to face down everybody I thought I I legitimately thought they fooled me I thought he was going to die at that moment I thought that was going to be it I was like because this is the most Captain America thing ever like I'll stand down every last every last bit of evil until my dying breath and I'm like well this is a way to go (laughs) (laughs) and then they show up and I'm like wow and if you study his face in that scene with every hero that comes in, he's walking. He's almost like turning in a circle.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, he looks and he is gaining hope with mm. every single person who's coming back around. And it, and it's almost like the reverse stages of grief in that moment. Mm. It's like he is resigned to his fate and he's just going to face it head on because that's the kind of man that he is. And then all of a sudden he's in disbelief because – the thing that he did, like they did a thing to bring everybody back and he and it worked, but he's like, but now they're here to help. And he's definitely and Cap you you would think is kind of the man that probably would never ask for help, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, necessarily, and he's getting it anyway, and you see that kind of burden start to lift. And then he sees Spider Man show up and you, you you kind of connect the dots here, but he looks off screen at Iron Man because they had already had this emotional conversation about how they both felt responsible for losing this child. And, like, mm-hmm. it's be- like he's it's like, we got him back. And he's turning around and he's seeing everybody. And all of a sudden, he sees that he has an army now to rival the army that is setting him. And when he turns back around yeah. and makes eye contact with Thanos, he's no longer resigned to, to death. He's resigned to killing him instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's yeah. like, well,. It basically is it to say, so you were saying something about destroying this planet because that's not going to happen now. And it's such a subtle, subtle thing. But when he cuts back around and he like exhales and he frankly just looks pissed, like he's ready to fight now. He's gotten his second wind. They cut back to Thanos and he lowers his sword for a second. He's like, um, hold on. It's just the slightest nonverbal cue of doubt. And for a second, which that Thanos was not someone who had known defeat in any way in his Mm -hmm. life because he came from a previous timeline. So he was still this arrogant person. So he was, you know, as they say, shook uh, in that moment. (laughs) And and so all of that happening together, again, with Sylvester's score in the background is just, um, you know, Into the Spider-Verse, as far as contained stories, it's just like the perfect superhero movie kind of thing but as a culmination of this ridiculously um long-term planning that should never have worked is this final execution of this story that's just phenomenal and it's just they you know it's 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 way better than it has any right to be Mm
1: -hmm. you
0: know um as a story and that's why i love it so much um Is, is how it handles all that. So anyway, I'm sure anybody who's who's listening to this has probably already seen it, probably tired of hearing me talk about it anyways. <laughs> but um it's just so it's just so good. And yeah. and um the way that I think it's just the respect that they gave the stories that they created, the Russo brothers. Um um and and the way that they um the uh this, okay this will be the last thing I say but like <laughs> the the way they trusted their audience i think without having to like be so forthright with everything you know um the way they handled exposition or the way that they just kind of gave these sort of fan service moments they weren't necessarily hitting you over the head with things and them just kind of placed stuff there was really good it's really good stuff anyway i'm cutting myself off now
1: (laughs) well uh, hey it's funny you had a do do a difficult transition i have a difficult <laughs> transition now. i will say that um, this next one i am about to recommend did come out the same year as Avengers Endgame which Perfect. Might, which might be uh eh, that might be the that might be the end of all the comparis- like you know all the similarities but <laughs> but uh but yeah so, so there's this, no
0: time travel in this one
1: very little very <laughs> <laughs> unless you just count just the normal pace of time you know yeah. <laughs> um yeah so this, this film you know again it came out in 2019 it's kind of like it's funny so like last week i think or not last, uh, like in our tv episode or tv um yeah our best of the decade episode there was that watchman kind of was like last minute buzzer beater like very end of the decade this is one of those two where um kind of like watchman i'm a little nervous that Maybe I just haven't had enough time. Maybe the reason this is on the list and so high up is because I'm. It's so fresh, and I'm. It's such a. I had such a. It was such a big reaction to it. Maybe that if I give it some time, it wouldn't be quite as high, or would it be on it? I don't know. Um, but this one, uh, it's ironically around the time Watchmen came out. You know, Watchmen released in October. kind of aired October through December. Uh, this film, yeah, came out towards the end. You know, 2019, um, and it is a film. Uh, it's a Korean film from uh this the, another amazing director Bong Joon-ho and it is called Parasite Bong Joon-ho so this is a director you may ha- have seen uh some of his previous films uh he uh, uh directed Okja which came out uh like it was an exclusive Netflix film No Piercer was his first uh US kind of English lang English language film um and then he also did a 2006 film called The Host which is basically I'm kind cool. of your Kind of monster movie, but but calling it just a monster movie isn't doing it justice because there's so many other kind of genres blended in. I feel, I feel like *Parasite* this new one uh, from from Bong Joon Ho is kind of like the best of what he's good at. Like that's it's kind of a culmination of everything that he just really excels at. It's um, genre, I mean, almost genre bending, genre hopping. Like it kind of just bounces around between so many different genres, just breathlessly, just perfectly. Um, Mm -hmm. It's uh, like a lot of his films, it's very timely. There's a very, um, uh, there's a very kind of current message, uh, but very original as well. It's a very original film as well. And uh, kind of like I've mentioned with like Fruitvale Station and A Separation, like even though there is an undercurrent of some uh, like kind of deeper like social commentary, it doesn't that doesn't get in the way of the 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 families that you fall in love with in this film and the families that you care about it doesn't it doesn't take away from like the personal drama as well um so this film because it came out so recently although it is now so it's not on any uh like kind of um instant streaming or any sort of free streaming it is available to rent online which is great just i think last week it it, or a couple weeks ago it was released and um so you can you can rent it if you want to watch it before uh, the Academy Awards, um, but uh, so because it because it is a relatively recent film, I am gonna well for a lot of reasons I'm gonna be very brief, but for that I'm gonna try to keep it very simple. This is one of those films that the the less you know, the better. I really feel like, um, but I'll just say this much: it follows a a family really struggling to make ends meet, doing whatever they can. You know, one of the first scenes is them uh, making pizza boxes. For a, a pizza delivery company, in order to make just kind of a meager amount of money just to survive, they uh, find a way to start making money by sort of taking advantage of a, a very rich uh, family that's um, kind of naive in their in their wealth. And I really just want to leave it at that. I it so it it gets it gets heavy, but there. But Bong Joon Ho in a lot of his films, even in his most like weighty films, there's still just so much uh, humor throughout. I mean, even to the point sometimes even slapstick humor that almost that just it fits perfectly. But it's just it's surprising to you're surprised to see stuff like that. But it's the way he kind of uh, plays with genres is uh, is unlike any anything I've seen from from any any director. Um, but anyway, so this film, um, as you can tell, you know, we're talking about a lower lower class family. A rich more wealthy family there is a lot that to be said about um social hierarchies and um this kind of constant and i i I hate to wade into like terms like like capitalism and free market but there's a lot to be said in this film about this constant kind of race for very limited resources in a system that kind of only can work if there's not a limit to resources, if that makes sense. I don't know. I feel like um, there's this underlying assumption in capitalism that we're just never going to not have things. Like, the resources are just going to be constant and always there. Anyways, uh, another sort of masterful uh, just aspect of, of Bong Joon-ho typically, and especially in this film, is just uh, the way he... Just the, the imagery that he uses, um, the, the, sort, the sort of... He's one of those... Um, directors you can just tell every shot is contributing to the story in some way there's always tension there's always tension in a shot if that makes sense there's always something happening um there's nothing uh, there's no there's no sort of filler no fluff it is um but it's a very beautiful film too a beautifully shot film um the the main the i mean there's it's a it's one of those kind of sort of ensemble casts where it's hard to say there's like a, a precise like main character, but Song Kang-ho is, uh, plays the father of the, the poor family. And, um, he is one of those kind of, uh, he, he's a, he's an actor that Bong Joon-ho is kind of, he's kind of, I'm trying to think of an example like, uh, a U.S. director and actor, where they sort of do everything together, like they kind of just like a Coogler and, and Michael B. Jordan type. Tim of thing. Burton and Johnny Depp. Yeah, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. They if if uh, Bong Joon Ho is working on a film, he Song Kang Ho will probably be in it, and he is just a, a one of those actors where I you were just conti- with every film, just continually marvelled and impressed by. It. Like he he really should have. I mean, I know I don't know how the Academy works, the Oscars or whatever, but I mean, as far as like Best Actor I nominee, mean, I mean, this guy is just, I mean. This was just a, a really masterful performance. There's there's so much, you know, early on you kind of take him as for like this kind of naive, um, kind of ignorant, clueless parent. Um, but as, oh man, I I, I want to say so, I, I, can't, I can't say much. Um, but just things change as time goes on and you see this just really, really introspective, thoughtful person who's affected by by events things around him that really i mean you so you can see just in, in expressions and how he just small subtle ways i mean you're talking about like almost like thanos like little things like lowering a sort like you could just see in small ways these you you kind of know exactly what he's thinking and mm. what is weighing on him um this film is a yeah i i couldn't recommend it more highly it is it i mean i i will say i've only seen a handful of like you know the best picture nominees but I, I would say this kind of like stands out far and away above everything I've seen. I mean, it's just it, it's it's something completely different. It is uh, incredibly deep, but not you know like I feel like there's a lot of films that come out. They're like they're made to be a best picture nominee. You know, like right. there's like not, I mean, which not to say they're bad necessarily. Like 1917, you know, this continuous right. shot, epic World war to you know, World War One. You know, I mean, it's. Checks there's, a lot of boxes. Yeah, there's the heartfelt, like kind of dramas, like you know, like last year, you know, Green Book one. I didn't see, but just from hearing about it, it it felt like one of those like Oscar bait when it was tra- it's yeah. like trying to say big things, but really not saying big things at all. Um, like Crash. Yeah, Crash. The Help. <laughs> I mean, like a lot of films that have have this kind of veneer of I'm an Oscar nominee. You know, like I deserve to be nominated. Like it's it's this kind of I don't know. I, they're this,
0: they're all they're all lives matter nominees.
1: Yeah, me, so. Yes, yes, preci- Oh, precisely. This film has like none of that. This film is, um, it is, it is the way it is able to get across a lot of really big ideas, or at least bring up, create um, questions around these really big ideas, while still being uh, wildly, I mean, very funny at times, very satirical but also very dark, very thrilling, very suspense. Like it, the way it kind of just maneuvers, even scene by scene sometimes between, between these sort of genre types, it kind of is just its own, own It's its own genre almost. I mean, it is the way, it, the way it handles, it, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm probably over, uh, <laughs> like I'm probably overhyping it. So I apologize if you watch this and do not <laughs> like it at all. But, um, but it's just, it, it's one of those, that, like it, it actually makes you think about heavy weighty things. It has a lot to say, but without giving you a lot of answers, I guess. Um, hmm. when I feel like there are a lot of the best fish nominees, like they think they have a lot of answers. I don't know. And
0: that really makes don't. me think of, um, do the right thing. from Spike yes. Lee. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Like,
0: like I'm just going to give you, I don't mean to hijack, but I just think it's, uh, especially since I haven't seen Parasite and you are so, (laughs) so masterfully being evasive with your description here, which I appreciate because when I saw this on your list, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I kind of hope he doesn't say too much because I hear this is the kind of movie you have to experience and not be told about, you know, so hopefully we can figure out a way to watch that sometime Mm -hmm. soon so I can then pester you about it later. (laughs) Um, The do the right thing oh I remember um, so I was really late to the party on that movie Mm -hmm. but I remember seeing back when like VH1 used to do their I love the fill in the blank series all Mm -hmm. the times um they did an episode somewhere on the 90s or 80s whatever movie I don't know it was either late 80s or early 90s when it came out I can't remember which one but um they did an episode where they talked about that and somebody was like, How you going you just you're just yelling at Spike Lee, like, Hey, how you always gonna do that, Spike Lee? Like Spike don't ever give you any answers. He just lays out the problem unless yeah. you deal with it. Yeah. And like um that movie ended with pretty much a you know, with a riot in Harlem and then the closing shot were two conflicting ideology quotes between mm-hmm. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X.
1: Yeah. And
0: that's how the movie ends. And I'm yeah. like, man.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, yeah just
0: uh and sometimes holding a mirror up to society Mm -hmm. the mirror does not produce a resolution yeah yeah that's hard to swallow and
1: i and i feel like that's almost like more more true to life so i feel like a lot of films they you you're kind of in the way they create these characters you're kind of shown who you're supposed to be siding with or rooting for i don't know if that and in this one it's like not there's not even like a uh it's not even a a dilemma. Like you, you see this, this family, you know, both families are, they have their flaws. They have their positives. There's not like, there's nothing like absolutely horrible about this. The rich family. You're not supposed, you're not like set out to hate this family, but there's nothing like saintly about the Mm -hmm. poor family. You, you see the flaws, you see the the complexities and, um, the film doesn't just have this pat answer and, um, Anyways, I, I think it should win Best Picture. It, it I don't know if it will. I, I and I, I feel bad saying that because I still haven't seen everything, but I, it's just conventional different. wisdom probably
0: says it wins the foreign language film, so mm-hmm. it won't win the Best Picture film. You think they yeah, set they it would. up just to do that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So Especially coming out. But yeah, no, for yeah. sure. But and it's another thing. I'm, I've been i fa- I've been a fan like of Bong Joon Ho for not not too terribly long, but within the last several years, catching up with his stuff and just i i kind of want him i feel like he's getting a lot of recognition now for this film and it's something i'm really glad i feel like that he kind of he really he's one of those guys that just deserves it he's he's been great
0: talking about stories that resonate on deep levels about various issues that should or should not be celebrated Mm -hmm. let's move over to my last (laughs) um which i think is worthy of celebration um and so, uh, story time with Stephen again. This is the last anecdote I have to share with you guys tonight or today or whenever you listen to this. Um, so, this film came out last year in 20, the summer of 2019. Um, I saw this film for my birthday in September with my wife, who took me to my first my first ever experience at an Alamo draft house, which I was really excited. They made one, they built one in Raleigh. Oh, um, wow uh last i i I guess it's been there for a little over a year now maybe i don't know but anyway as a young um single uh, i remember reading um movie movie sites and stuff and the the editorials and stuff i read were from people i think who lived in texas and before the draft house was a franchise that spread everywhere they were always talking about having their their festivals there and, and all this stuff and i'm like man this sounds like so much cooler than my little like amc theater and Macon. no 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 offense to Macon, georgia it's great theaters there but <laughs> um have you ever been to an alamo draft house team? i have
1: not no. oh, okay we
0: should talk about this later then because it's <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic experience um um anyway so uh, i had been dying to want to go there uh, for multiple reasons one i mean i love movies if you guys haven't been able to tell about that so far tonight, and. Um, it's um it's very much catered to someone from my generation i suppose um there's so many little niche fun things to do there and also i'd been on a diet for nine months um at that point and we did not go on a diet for that night and so it's a it's a well well served uh, uh, concessions and stuff there they have like full service um the theater and stuff so anyway i'm sitting here talking about a theater and i haven't even said anything about the movie here um so i've completely lost the plot already but um the film we chose to see uh, is called the peanut butter falcon so um peanut butter falcon it's it is it, it's a quirky little thing of a movie um so it it very much feels like a like this time capsule of a movie, um, of like a Mark Twain story. Um, and you could call it modern day, but to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. I think the movie is intentionally ambiguous about maybe what decade it takes place in. Um, because there aren't a lot of, from what I remember, there's not a ton of technological clues, When it takes place, I think it definitely takes place probably in this in the 21st century, but because there's cell phones, um, but even the cell phones are not particularly like modern. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, uh, the story is, uh, there's the character Zach, um, who is who's the main character, who's a, a man with a young man with Down syndrome, and he is living in an assisted living facility because he doesn't have any family to care for him. And he hates it there. Cause he's, I mean, he's, I, I guess, you know, they consider him not to be independent enough to live on his own. Um, but all he does is like hang out with his genuinely elderly roommate, <laughs> um, who actually should be in an assisted living facility all day long and watches old, uh, VHS wrestling tapes. Um, and when I, I, old VHS wrestling tapes, I mean like 1985 Ric Flair style um, (laughs) VHS wrestling tapes. So it's tapping right into my childhood already. And so there is a fictional professional wrestler that he sees on this video um, called played by um, what's his his name? Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church. Mm -hmm. um, Called the Saltwater Redneck. Which (laughs) It's a fantastic pro wrestler yeah. name um, <laughs> in and of itself. And he is advertising for his wrestling school um, on off of, I think, off the coast of North Carolina or maybe Georgia. I don't remember. They're, they're all around the southeast, the coastal areas of the southeast mm-hmm. uh, this movie. And so he decides he's going to break out of the um, nursing home and make his way down to this wrestling school to learn to become a wrestler um, concurrently at the same time Shia Lebeuf, who is the other lead in this film Is a I think a crab fisherman um, Some sort of fisherman And he kind of falls in a bad way um, Afoul Of these other fishermen um, it, Mostly because of his own fault uh, I won't get into all that But he's, he's kind of a troubled, troubled Man himself And so he's on the run from these guys um, And he and Zach run into each other and then it very much becomes a sort of Tom Sawyer, Hook, Fin thing. Like he's like on the run, and but he also you can tell that LaBeouf's character is not a complete scumbag. Like he feels a sense of responsibility for Zach. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, like I can't just leave this kid alone. Oh, so oh, so Zach stows away on Shy's boat. That's what it is um trying to find a place to sleep one night and so he had, and so he runs away from the other guys that are chasing him and then zach wakes up and now he's got a stowaway on his boat and so um anyway um they they basically bond uh and so they mutually agree like i'll help you get to the wrestling school and um and then I'm going to go on, I'm going to leave you there and go on to Florida, which is where his, it's basically his exit strategy for getting mm-hmm. away from these guys. And, um, Dakota Johnson, um, uh, who I have not seen any of the 50 shades films, but I think that is what she is most known for, um, is plays like the social worker, um, who is trying to track down Zach, um, and, and get him back. And so anyway, she, she happens upon them and kind of, um, I wouldn't say against her will because in 2019 that sounds more inappropriate than I mean it to be, but like kind of joins up with them, Mm -hmm. um, against her wishes. And, um, there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of very interesting takes and, um, commentaries on, uh, the value, uh, of a special needs person, um, Mm. the capability of of, uh someone with special needs how how we implicitly limit people with disabilities um in in such in such small ways that are dismissive and and for all that um and for all the flaws that shia labeouf's character has and they are visible Mm -hmm. he doesn't look at zach the way everybody else does and um he treats him with a different kind of dignity even though he's kind of a jerk Um, Mm -hmm. and um there's a there's a really it's a really interesting bonding story there and um and I'll say too like this is not really my story to tell but um my wife we we both loved it but she she really loved it as well because um there's a the Shia LaBeouf's character was really reminiscent of a member of our family in a way that like, kind of like seeing Stanley and in Into the Spider-Verse like just wasn't prepared for that emotional resonance and we're like oh my gosh like did he study that member of our family and preparing for this role <laughs> like kind of thing and so wow. um it's uh, it was really so. So there is uh, again, it's it's seeing it's seeing some, is experiencing art, seeing a film at a certain point in your life where those things just irrevocably connect with one another, and and it's stuck with you. But um, it's got a wonderful uh, soundtrack as well. It's very folksy. Uh, do you remember Away We Go with John Krasinski, yes, and Rudolph, yeah, yeah, Alexa Murdoch kind of did that whole soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I kind of got that feeling from the soundtrack um it doesn't the guy doesn't the guy who does it doesn't sound like alexi Murdoch or anything but it's just kind of got that vibe with it Mm. that really bonds well with the story and um anyway it's um it's it's just recently out it's not on any streaming services right now for free um but it's certainly worth a red box or a rental i think you can rent it uh, on prime, mm. uh, right now. And it's, it's so worth the watch. Um, awesome. also too, there are wrestler cameos, Jake, the snake Roberts and Mick Foley are both in it. Um, as not, as, not as themselves, but they do play former wrestlers, mm-hmm. um, in the movie, uh, when that comes up, which was a fun little, uh, Easter egg for me as a wrestling fan, um, nice. on top of that. But the, um, yeah, the story, it's very, um, man, it's kind of hard to describe. Like it's, 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 it's heartwarming. Um, it's, it's sweet. Like it's, it's a sweet film without feeling like, uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not an all lives matter kind of sweet. <laughs> Does that <if> I <laughs> yeah. steal the old phrase? It totally. feels genuinely sweet cause it, cause it's not afraid to address the uncomfortableness of it as well. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not the kind of – it's it's a different kind of suite in that way. It's almost a more realistic kind. And yet there are some fantastical moments that happen in the film that you're like – which were jarring to me at first, but that was kind of the point as well too because I think there are a couple of moments where you experience the film from um, Zach's perspective and something fantastical happens. I'm like, is this really happening? It's like, oh, it's just kind of how he's seeing it happen, you know. Um, But anyway, the title I also want to bring up. (laughs) the peanut butter falcon is zach's proposed wrestling character name they're at a um, (laughs) i love it yeah they're at a they're at a bonfire he and shia labeouf's character and he's like hey man you're gonna be a wrestler you gotta have a name and he's like hmm and they had like scrounged up just some change to buy some stuff at a convenience store for supplies and he's like falcon he's like oh man that's a great wrestler name, falcon and like that's kind of the nature of their conversation, like Shia LaBeouf's character will encourage him in something, and then Zach just takes it a step further. And he's like, <laughs> Falcon, man, that's a great name. He goes, Peanut Butter Falcon. And he's like, uh, all right, <laughs> you know, whatever. And he's just like, because he's like eating peanut butter. And so it's just so... Oh man, it's it's so sweet and funny and, awesome. and uh it's a good story, yeah. And it's it's yeah, it's it's a good it's a good watch. Oh man. So that does it for my fun.
1: I have heard so many good things about Peanut Butter Falcon. I've gotta watch it.
0: Shia LaBeouf's it's... best film, for sure. Oh man. I mean, I know. Not a huge stretch there, but still like he's <laughs> he's no, he's he's great. He's great in it. He mm. really, really is. And I mean I know I just you know, poke some fun at him there, but no, really, he's he's fantastic in it. Um, he promoted that movie, by the way, I think, um, by doing an episode of Hot Ones on mm-hmm. YouTube, um, the Hot Wing interview show. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, on YouTube. Yeah, um, oh, I watched
1: that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The... Um,
0: yeah and he's he seems like he's really turned a corner yeah. in some things mm-hmm. um from from some of the more mm-hmm. you know um sensational reasons he's gotten attention in this past in the past several years of his life but uh it's yeah it was a that was a fun interview to watch and this was yeah. a great film
1: yeah okay my number one ish actually this might be <laughs> might actually be my my favorite film of the decade it, it, it's oh man it's close you're going to hear me repeat a lot of things so I, I talk about how a lot of films that I mentioned are really humanizing um, that they don't, I feel like a lot of them sometimes go the easy route where like, they make it really easy to, to either be on the side of this character or not, be. they make it really easy to um, affirm or like, you know, Oh, we like him, this character because of this, you know, very, I don't know. There's a, have you heard, of, there's a screenwriting book called save the cat. And hmm. basically it means like in order to like, like, for a protagonist, in order to have, you know, to care about a protagonist, early on, you have to have the protagonist do something kind, like, to reveal Mm. part of his character, and then kind of once, once you're there, you're with him, like, he's the moral center of this, this drama, not that these don't have moral centers, and these aren't good, but, but it's like, have this obviously good and a lot of the things I've loved about a lot of these films is that even though that is true about these characters, they're very human people, and that you see their flaws and you see also their the positives of these characters. Anyway, so I've been saying that a lot, and I'm going to say that again about this this film. <laughs> um, it is a film. We
0: both had we both had theme star picks. Yeah. And yours is <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good.
1: Humanity. So this one is a film uh, from 2017 called The Florida Project, and oh my goodness, I I saw this. One. I made the mistake. Of watching this film on a plane. Oh my goodness! What was I thinking? I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know. I just heard good things. I I was. Uh, it was it was a film that I I could not stop thinking about for weeks. I mean, I, I actually just had to watch it again. It is on Amazon Prime. Um, it is directed by this uh, really really interesting really visionary filmmaker named Sean Baker, um, who he is kind of best known for a film a few years before this um, in 2015 called Tangerine that was completely shot on an iPhone, like on iPhones. And, um, and this film, even there's kind of a, a minimalism to it, a very kind of down to earth, very realistic. Um, look, even though this time it is, you know, he does use a lot of like, he, he doesn't go as, as cheap as a, like as, as affordable as an iPhone. He really, he, he, you know, there's more to it in this film, but it's still very down to earth. Um, he, he's one of those, he's a, He's a director that likes to find people like if depending on what the film, you know, about he likes to find people in that setting and kind of just hires them. So this film, The Florida Project, is about uh, a single mom and her daughter in uh, kind of like a, a weekly or, sl- or monthly motel um, right uh, outside of Disney World. Um, you know, kind of like so there's Disney World, but then kind of there's a surrounding where it's just either hotels, motels, but then a lot of flashy stores um a lot of kind of like uh timeshare stuff like that. Um this is uh just uh a, a a family trying to make ends meet, um, struggling to survive but living outside of this this motel. The majority of the film is is filmed from the perspective of this uh this seven year old girl, the seven year old daughter Mooney. Um she's played by I think a kind of new new ish maybe I don't know, she's probably done something more than Brooklyn Kimberly Prince. Um and uh, the mother, Haley, is uh, played by Bria. I'm going to, I'm not, I don't even know if I should try the last. Uh, who uh, the director found, uh, found the main character just kind of uh, on Instagram, like kind of doing a lot of really interesting things on Instagram and really thought that she would fit. And she is just magnificent in this role as a single mom. And like I, you know, kind of talking about humanizing characters, I feel like in a lot of films, people, especially people um, in films experiencing poverty, I feel like there's, kind of a typical two typical ways of, of portraying characters like that. They're either kind of turned into saints where they're just like this, uh, kind of objects of perfection, but just have like a kind of down their luck. You know, they've had a lot of just really horrible circumstances and, um, but they really, really deserve to be this or whatever. But then on the other hand, sometimes you see, uh, people experiencing poverty and they're kind of portrayed as like these people who had it coming. They're not good. They're, they're, they're just horrible people, you know. And um and which obviously, you know, in life, like neither of those typically, like in general, true, you know. And uh, and I I love in this film, so they do kind of and 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 like a lot of the films that I've um talked about, they do exactly that. They show all the flaws, they show all the just kind of more beautiful moments um of these of these characters, and they show you someone legitimately struggling through no like like this. Uh, main character is obviously not a perfect person, but um, you see them like genuinely struggling to to make a living, but also to to um, provide for her daughter. Um, all that being said, one of the one of the so this film, I mean, is a vibrant film. I mean, I feel like just from the backdrop of like you know, if you've ever been to Florida, Orlando, um, it's it's obviously very you know, outside of Disney World. It's very kitschy. It's very sort of like touristy but also very colorful and very kind of vibrant. And so um, the director plays with a lot of that. It's a very kind of a very colorful film, very bright film. And a lot of that is because a lot of the film is, is set um, kind of from the perspective of the daughter who I don't, it's funny. I was talking with some friends, even just in the last few days, like I feel like as a child, even if you're going through or they're experiencing something difficult as a kid, you don't know kind of what you're, experiencing like you're from the from the mindset of your kid you're just kind of making the best with what what you're experiencing and so you see this daughter but then other kids from the same motel that are basically just living there um just getting into all sorts of hijinks having a lot of fun you see kind of like what they're experiencing doesn't surprise them or doesn't even seem like a big deal to them while it does for the audience i think it's it's sometimes you see kind of what they're doing, what they're going through. And as an audience, you're like, whoa, oh my goodness, this is crazy. But for the kids, it's just like, hey, this is just, this is just, they're kind of uh, making their own way. And the kind of tagline of this film is find your kingdom. And I just, Mm. I just adore that. I just love that so much. I mean, it's like they're, they're, I mean, they're literally in the periphery of this uh, magic kingdom. You know, they at certain, you know, certain, they can go really, really near their their motel and see fireworks you know from one of the the parks in the magic kingdom and um but it's like but it's like they don't like the the daughter mooney she doesn't really like it's almost like she's just kind of in her own little amusement park in her own world with her friends and um uh man it's just it's just a very someone's just a very realistic portrayal of people trying to to kind of make it. it's it's despite seeing the complexity and the flaws it's still a very compassionate um look at people um who for whatever reason you know maybe through something on their own maybe no fault of their own maybe just uh circumstances with their parents i don't know like but through for whatever reason um the idea of like the american dream is just kind of a very very far off idea i say far off but at the same time they can see the magic kingdom so maybe it's also not that far off, you know, it's like, this just idea, out of like, reach. Exactly. Yeah. It's like just there. Um, anyway, so it is, it is, a, it's a great, film. I will say one person I haven't mentioned, it, <laughs> who is so fantastic. Uh, Willem Dafoe is in the film as the manager wow. of this, uh, this um, motel. I feel like, I feel like one, one thing I, that maybe did a disservice to the film is uh, one of the first trailers that came out. It kind of sets up, Willem Dafoe is like this almost a main character. And I which I guess maybe they had to. Like he was the one like recognizable character of this film. but it sets him up almost as like this grandfatherly figure who's there to kind of protect the family and the kids. And even though he is a wonderful character who really cares about the tenants, um at the same time, he has to run a business too. And so it's it's uh so not only is there tension with the the family struggling against me, but also the manager who clearly sees families in need but also has to survive himself and um uh yeah it's just a very a very man incredibly realistic portrayal i say realistic as if i've like had any sort of experience but um (laughs) it's empathy because it humanizes these characters but but not empathy because it like it gives like this sob story i don't know if that if that makes it's hard to i'm not finding the right words for it but um you care about these people because they're humans, and because
0: not because you feel sorry for them. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And not uh, treated as charity cases, but mm-hmm, yeah, as fully
0: realized individuals.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those films too. It's it's an intriguing film because it's not there's not necessarily a, a story. It's almost somewhat like um one of the films like Fruitvale Station. You know, it's kind of like this. It's a short story, but it's like an encapsulation of like one day of this one character. But The Florida Project, it's not just one day, but it's almost just like a snapshot of several months of this particular family. Um, so it's interesting. There's not necessarily kind of like a, uh, here's a conflict, here's a conclusion. I mean, there's just kind of like always this underlying conflict of how will we survive? How will we figure things out? If uh, this segment of, of society, if they're not ignored, yeah, they're vilified and uh, they're marginalized. And um, And I feel like this movie does a wonderful job of keeping the complexity there you know keeping showing the flaws but keeping the empathy and compassion still i mean still you care about these characters despite seeing oh maybe that wasn't the best idea maybe you shouldn't have done that but also seeing like like Haley, uh the mother is a is a great mom but also a very flawed mom which i mean i feel like i'm (laughs) like i'm not a great i'm not an awesome i mean i want to be a great dad but i i know i have a lot of a lot of failings, there's a lot of times I'm, I'm not the best dad. And so it's like, okay, you see a person who's like just a real human being who there are moments just really tender, beautiful moments. Um, but then you also see flaws as well. So anyways, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. I feel like most of these I'm just been rambling, but I'm gonna leave it at that. I uh, could, again, along with the separation, since this is also streaming, you, I bump it up, bump it up to the top. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful film.
0: Well, you know, you guys have your homework assignments um, for checking out some things. There's certainly a lot out there to consume. And uh, no, man, thanks for sharing. I mean, I I have not seen any of any of the ones on your list from from this time, so I can certainly sample uh, from there and uh, and see see what there is to experience. Especially when I try to get around the parasite sometime soon. Awesome. Um, and in those. But you know, uh, this has been fun catching up, and I think yeah. we can we can try to look forward to a little bit more regularity than uh, the, than the past little while, mm-hmm. and uh, see see what what we could talk about next. Yeah. Uh, maybe That's find high. something that uh, can, can allow for some deeper conversation uh, without having to jump to the next pick. Now that we've now that we've covered ten years,
1: yeah, um, exactly. We've so handled it. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's over, guys.
1: take yeah. care. Of
0: it. It's fine. You're welcome Everything's good You're welcome everybody You're welcome America And uh, we can We can We can mosey on to something Something mm. new So we'll see We'll see where that brings us
1: awesome.
0: Um But yeah man Any Any closing arguments
1: <laughs> um, Oh man No I think that I, I think we covered it I don't know Yeah Well good. I
0: think If anything You know just with the points that you bring up and all of your, all of your picks and some of our discussions tonight, I think we can, I, I, for my part, anyways, I could just sum up from that anecdote earlier. Just you know, continue the conversation.
1: You yeah, know? exactly.
0: Keep that, keep that going. Keep your, don't don't allow your consciousness to fade, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, your consciousness of things to fade. But try to keep uh, try to keep what's important up at the front of your mind. Keep yeah. continue the conversation.
1: Yeah absolutely
0: all right well that does awesome. it for episode 53 and uh yeah. episode 54 will be uh to be determined uh <laughs> sometime sometime soon so uh, thanks for joining us tonight and uh, appreciate your time and until then uh, keep keep working on your nighties yeah